0: But I also gave myself the space that if it catches up with me, it's okay. Like I'm allowed to go crawl under the covers and go to sleep and randomly cry. But for this day, this year, I think expecting it actually made it better in some ways.
1: Hey, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. And today I have parents, Haley and Madura joining me to talk about the ins and outs of what we call traumaversaries, the anniversaries of traumatic events. And in this case, specifically relating to medical trauma experienced with our children. And we also talk about several other triggers that come up as well. For so many of us, medical trauma is a really big part of our lives. And I'm really hopeful that this conversation helps you feel seen in that and maybe even gives you ideas of small ways that you can just kind of lessen its power over you. This episode is so freaking good and I'm so excited for you to listen. As I think about Kimball's life, there have been many ways that we have experienced trauma. And honestly, one of the most traumatic things that we've gone through with him is feeding him. Because of several factors, he was tube fed And that was one of the worst feelings in the world, placing that feeding tube down his throat into his stomach while he was writhing in protest, screaming at the top of his little lungs and feeling like I was torturing him in order to feed him. And all of this with the pressure of accidentally placing it in his lungs, which would have been catastrophic. We had a bit of... Training before discharge at the NICU, but when we got home, we quickly learned that we were completely unprepared to do this care for him. And several times a day and during the night, too, the tube would come out and we were there once again trying to reinsert it. And you know what I wish we would have had access to? A helpline, a way to ask questions and have guidance when our brains were foggy with lack of sleep and with trauma. But our hospital system wasn't, like, super built for that, and that was not a convenient thing. That would have been this big ordeal to call the on-call doctor and to troubleshoot with them. When it was like, well, maybe we should just try to figure this out ourselves. But you know who has created an easy-to-use system to receive qualified help in those frantic moments? Moog Medical, the creator of the Infinity Pump. They have a whole team ready to assist families who have questions. Is it a technical issue? they can help you troubleshoot. Is it a clinical question about anything related to tube feeding and inserting the tube and all the things? They have nurses and even a dietitian on hand to answer your questions and to guide you through. Whether it's the middle of the day or in the wee hours of the night, they are just a phone call away, ready to support. Which let me tell you is not the case for every feeding pump manufacturer, like the one we used for gimbal, which will remain unnamed. <laughs> Kimball and I actually got to tour Moog headquarters, because they are local to us, and see the room where the support staff is, and we got to meet a few nurses, and it was incredible. I just loved picturing that army of support that is available to all the users of the infinity pump whenever you need it. I know that a lot of you do use the infinity pump for your child, and I just hope that you remember this resource, and that it's readily available to you, and that you utilize it when you need it. The number for their helpline can be found on their website moogmedical.com/contact, and MOOG is spelled M-O-O-G. There's also a link in the show notes to that page as well as their phone number, just spelled out. Moog created this great helpline for families like ours because they truly do care which is also why they made this incredible episode possible. So a huge thank you to Moog for being wonderful and for sponsoring this episode. Okay, let me tell you a bit about our rock star guests and then we'll dive in because I really am so excited for you to hear this. Madura has been an avid listener of the podcast for a long time. She was born and raised in India, which is so cool. And it made me curious, so I looked it up. So here's a little fun fact. There are listeners of the podcast in 93 countries, which is so cool. From Finland to Chile to Sudan. So, so cool. So wherever you are tuning in from, you are so welcome. You belong. Okay, anyway, that was a side note. Madura has a six-year-old daughter named Tanmayi. She has a rare syndrome that causes drug-resistant epilepsy and brain-based visual impairment. She is also non-ambulatory and non-speaking, along with other medical complications. Madura works in research and new product development at a fintech company. She is a lover of yoga sessions and singing Indian classical music. And then our other guest, Haley, lives in Salem, Oregon, with her husband and three children, Wyatt, who is 11, Nolan, who is seven, and Juniper, who is three and has refractory epilepsy, as well as cerebral palsy due to a failed surgery in an attempt to stop the seizures, and global developmental delays in all areas. Haley teaches communication at a community college and is a lover of her bed and doing outdoorsy things like camping, hiking, and backpacking in true Oregonian fashion. Okay, let's dive in. Hi, Hayley and Majura. Welcome to the show. Hi, hi. I'm super excited about our topic today, talking about trauma versaries. And I know that like it kind of like came to me that we need to do a whole episode about this when I was reading a post that you did, Haley, on Instagram about it, because it's something I've experienced. I was like, oh, this is so relatable. Like I'm sure this is something that other people have experienced. And then when we kind of put up like something on our stories of like, Hey, does anyone else want to talk about this? I mean, it kind of blew up. Like we had so many people that also have a lot to say about this. And it's something that we all deal with, right? If you have any kind of medical trauma with your child or, you know, which most of us listening do, like there are going to be these anniversaries of really hard things. And so I also just love the phrase traumaversary because I think it sums it up so well because saying like the anniversary of when, we had to go to the NICU or like just different things like that. It's like, oh, anniversary. Like that just feels really positive and sappy, but it's usually really complicated, if not just plain old sucky. So I love that phrase for it. But I would love to kind of start with you, Haley, talking about your point of view, like when you wrote that post and what frame of mind you were coming from and kind of the response that you received from other parents about that.
0: Yeah. So can't credit myself for that phrase. It was actually another medical parent that I saw one time chimed in, had messaged me, and she said, you know, I call those traumaversaries. And exactly to your point, Madeline, of anniversary sounds happy. And these were not events for our family and for our daughter that were happy events but they also weren't things that we could ignore. It's not just another day. So I felt like trauma versus was really relevant and exactly describes what they are. And it came up for me because January, for whatever reason, is chock full of these days. There are multiple dates in January that are very triggering for me. And as we were approaching January, I could just feel it in my body, You know, I think a big thing for me is the body remembers trauma. And even before my mind wrapped around, oh, yeah, that's right. January is a bad month. It's like I could feel myself retreating and getting tired and wanting to crawl in a hole. And that for me was this reminder, oh, there's a bunch of dates coming up that are really challenging when I look back on it. And when I wrote about that specifically, There were so many people that messaged me having very relatable stories, even specific months. Like I said, well, what's your January? And people were like, well, March was really terrible Mm. or June was really terrible. And I think it just really resonated with people that we have these really difficult periods of time throughout the year that are marked by really sad, traumatic events with our children.
1: Yeah. Totally. And Madura, I know that that really resonated with you because you were one of the people that were like, hey, me, I can talk about this too. Would you like to share what your thoughts are too? Just like, I know that's the whole episode is what our thoughts are about this. Because I know that you also experienced traumaversaries initially because of the death of a loved one, which was my first experience with it as well, where my dad passed away from brain cancer. So it was like, okay, it's actually January for me as well. (laughs) January just kind of sucks. Like, it's the darkest time of year, at least here in, you know, America and stuff. And so it's just like, ooh, like, you know, your body does remember. So Majira, what has been your experience with Traumaversaries?
2: So mine is slightly different because my first introduction, like you said, to Traumaversaries, and at the time I was very little, back in India, and not a whole lot of people around me knew about this concept of Traumaversaries. But in hindsight, I hear other medical parents talk about this. And in hindsight, I can label it like, hey, that's what I was experiencing. So when I was little, my dad passed away in an accident. So nobody saw it coming. And we have our birthdays really close, like one day apart. So my birthday, it wasn't even, it was also in January. (laughs) Oh, what the heck? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When he died was in January My birthday, his birthday in January, my daughter's birthday is in January. Oh, my gosh. My daughter started having her seizures in January. So it's just, it's this whole month is just, but in terms of back then, I was 10. And my birthday wasn't the same for me for years. And it wasn't even the day he died. It was my birthday when I would just kind of break apart and not want to celebrate my birthday. and instead of wanting to celebrate his birthday, because almost like not wanting to acknowledge that he's not there anymore or, or whatnot, took me years to kind of come on terms with that. And I, I think, like I said to you in the message, like it kind of put me in a place where, when my daughter came along and all her, all her medical complications, I was a person equipped with certain coping mechanisms that I no longer associated things with dates because I had gotten over onto the other side of experiencing those trauma bursaries over and over and over again when I was so little. So Mm -hmm. that's my experience with that. With my daughter, I don't necessarily experience in terms of like associating it with dates, like different surgeries, different medical events that have gone on so much so that I associate those with something else. No. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing I did want to like also do a shout out to because uh, yes, we're talking about trauma versaries, which like if you really think about it, it's just another way that our trauma is triggered. And so I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about will kind of cross over. Like it'll also relate to just other triggering things. Like it won't necessarily be like the date. And I was thinking too, Madura, I relate with you on that too. Where like for me, like there's a handful of like dates. That I'm like, whoa, this is the date that you know X Y Z happened, but for me, it has to be close to another event for me to really remember the exact date of that. So like, my son, I've just posted this on my stories, but like, Kimball, we found out some really really tough, horrible news on Valentine's Day. Three years ago and so every valentine's day that's what i'm remembering but i think that if it hadn't happened on a date that's like very memorable like that and has a lot of triggering like things associated with it i wouldn't necessarily be like oh it happened in february but maybe this time of year i'd feel really crappy and not totally know why
0: yeah i think for me gosh the similarities with (laughs) january so my birthday is in january my daughter's birthday is in january Oh my gosh her relapse <laughs> after her first surgery the longest stretch she had ever been seizure free happened on my birthday so the first we had had all this hope that she was okay and then she relapsed started having seizures again on my birthday and then her first birthday was spent in a hospital awaiting her second brain surgery so even her birthday her very first one was marked with trauma And then her second surgery was a few days after, so four days after her birthday, so also in January. And so I think even for me, relative to, yeah, I don't know that I would pay attention that much to the date. It's just I know that it's tied to our birthday, is both myself Mm -hmm. and my daughters. And I think in some way that makes it even harder because she's my only girl And also, I was so excited that her birthday was a week after mine, that we would have these double birthdays and it would be this really happy and celebratory month. And while we've still tried to do it more so this year of focusing on like the joy of birthdays, they're so tied to other trauma that has happened that it's really hard for me to kind of stay present in the celebration because I know what comes later.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. That also just makes it that much more bitter when you're like, well, great, this was supposed to be this really sweet thing. And now it's marred by this traumatic stuff that like it's not fair for her. It's not fair for us. Like that line of thinking of like, great, just one more thing that our life is different than how we pictured it or how it should be or, you know, those types of things, which is pretty valid. Like, yeah. And I'm curious. So this makes me so curious. And maybe we'll like Put a question on our story so people can actually respond to this but I'm wondering if like if you think of traumaversaries in your head if most of them are tied or they're by other like holidays or birthdays or things that like make it more memorable to us because I'm wondering if that really is a thing
2: yeah I mean that's possible but it's also like I'm gonna kind of move into something different here in looking back It made me a person who, having gone through that for years of not being able to deal with these important dates, you know, my birthday, my dad's birthday or whatnot, it made me a person (laughs) who doesn't really remember dates themselves as much. So if you ask me, my daughter has had two surgeries, and if you ask me, like, I get... (sighs) you walk into these appointments and they're like, oh, what was the date of her surgery? And you have to fill out so many therapy forms where they ask you surgical history. And I'm always like looking in my chart to find out like, oh, what was the exact date? Like, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit weird because they kind of look at you like, what do you mean you don't remember the date? But that's who I've kind of become. Where I don't necessarily tie things with dates I'll give you a month and a year, but not necessarily a day. It also kind of to the point that it's like, great, it's one more thing, our happy day is ruined kind of feeling, but it's morphed into this, like almost like a level-headedness towards the bad and the good and kind of being able to see it as part of a whole, if that makes sense, that falls on the same day. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of grieving and you went through the trauma and you have all this anxiety, kind of pent up anxiety that's in your body, you're feeling it. But at the same time, this celebratory aspect is also equal part of this day of our lives and kind of being able to see that with a level headedness and to be able to say, yes, these two can coexist, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think... This is my suspicion, I guess, is like that there are some dates or like events or you know like the trauma that we're talking about connected with the trauma anniversary, that are just straight up horrible. Like with Juniper's seizures returning that day, I like there's probably not really like a lot of like oh I'm grateful we found it maybe or I'm grateful we were able to respond. There's probably not gonna be a whole lot there, mm-hmm. but in the anniversaries of surgeries they're like wow like she was able to receive the care she needed or for me this is a big one I want to talk about this a lot but like the day of our child's birth is often a traumaversary because not for everyone but for a lot of us like Mm -hmm. We were aware or became aware that our child had these medical issues at birth. And so there's usually a lot of trauma around that. But then also like, but my baby, he was born then. Like, I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of like joyous moments, too. So I think that there's like some that have more layers like that. And like, I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's like, wow, we can really focus on being more level headed. Like you say, or more like, hey, I can look at this from like a more of a broader perspective of the whole of like, I'm so grateful for medical care and that or that my child is here and there might be some that are just like, I just hate that day. That was horrible. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I think it also takes time to get to that place. Yeah. So, the process is also affected by how new your trauma is, how recent it is, and how strong it was. I want to distinguish this because medical trauma is a little bit different than someone's accidental death because there's a finality to death. And this medical trauma that we're talking about is you don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. It's very difficult to anticipate. Your body goes into that like anticipatory kind of anxiety, grief and all that we all are really familiar with. So that kind of keeps it fresh almost all the time. And it makes it that much more difficult to get over it. The process is not going to look the same as it may look with somebody's death.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting discussing all this. So one date that I know for a lot of medical parents carries a lot of weight is the diagnosis day or D day. And for some it's right when their child was born for me, it wasn't until she was about six months old. So we thought we quote unquote had a healthy child for six months. And I know that it happened end of July, beginning of August but i don't know the exact date i could look back i could look at her my chart i could look in my calendar and i could figure out which day we received the news of her diagnosis but it actually surprised me this year that i didn't have as much of a reaction to the diagnosis day as i did like the first anniversary of it Mm -hmm. and i think for me it's because this is just so much a part of our lives now that the diagnosis was devastating But unfortunately we've experienced a lot more trauma than that at this point. And in the spectrum of trauma for me personally, diagnosis day radically changed our life. It flipped everything we thought on its head. And I always say our world exploded in that moment, but we've also adjusted unfortunately or fortunately to this new normal and other days, for example, like her surgery sticks with me because it was ineffective. And so if it had worked, I think that I'd have a very different emotional reaction to it. It would be a celebratory day, traumatic, but celebratory. But for us, it was this huge turning point of, well, she's not going to be cured now. And I think that was what makes it so traumatic. Whereas her diagnosis day, I don't even remember the date of it. I could figure it out. But I think as a coping mechanism, I've kind of just said, I'm just not going to figure it out. And my husband's similar. He lost his mom in his 20s. And I remember when we first started dating, I asked, like, well, when did she die? And he goes, I don't even know. He purposely, as a coping mechanism, doesn't remember the date because he doesn't want to celebrate her death. He knows her birthday. He knows she really liked Flag Day as a holiday. And so (laughs) we celebrate that. But he purposely, I think, as a coping mechanism, just blocked it because he doesn't want to remember that tragedy. And I commend that like I in some ways envy that and I wish I could do that with all these other dates
1: yeah and Madura that sounds like a similar thing that you did with learning from your dad's passing of like I don't want dates to hold that power that Mm -hmm. they they hold over my dad I'm purposely not holding on to those dates I have to look it up which I think is so interesting and I think it goes to show that like we cope how we can and how we want to and so like If it feels good to, like, remember that day and to, like, allow yourself space to, like, really grieve that day or feel grateful or whatever, all the emotions, like, that's awesome. If you don't want that, like, Haley, like your husband, where he's like, I don't want to remember that day, so I don't even know that. And I know it's on purpose. I think that is also a totally valid way to cope, too. Like, I just don't care to be triggered back to that. And then I do think that it definitely, like, evolves, too. There might be, like, a date that you're like, I would love to forget this date but it's always around my birthday and I just never will be able to forget it. And then that's like, that's okay. And then some are going to, over time, they lose their power, which I've definitely recognized that as well.
2: Yeah. I think it goes back to what you said in the very beginning is you're recognizing date as just another trigger. And I think when that happens, you kind of stop giving it the power that, you're giving it by holding on to these traumaversaries. Yes, you're going to feel the trauma. Yes, you're going to still grieve whatever it is that you're grieving. But the date itself is not going to hold that power anymore.
1: I agree with that. I think this is just from my experience, but like the worst traumaversaries have been when they caught me off guard. And I was like, why do I feel so crappy right now? And like, oh, of course, his birthday is full of this stuff. All the trauma we went through are like, oh, of course, like this is the date we got that diagnosis. So I think... If you are kind of able to anticipate, or at least when you recognize it, name it, and you're like, I know what this is. This is traumaversary of this thing that happened, and I feel crappy, and I'm going to allow myself space to feel that. I agree with you. I think that really takes a lot of its power away, and it actually, it comes and it goes a lot smoother.
0: Yeah, I think for me, like I had mentioned that January, as soon as the December turned into January, I could physically feel my body, and I was moody and just sad and sleepy and i couldn't figure out why and i went oh yeah it's january so then i almost expected so her birthday is january 25th and then her surgery date was january 29th and so i like prepared myself on january 29th i think i even told my husband we call them my puddle days when i just need to like crawl in bed and have some space and so we like planned that i was gonna have a difficult day and i was gonna need space to be in my bed and then I didn't, and he kept going, Do you want to go have quiet time? Do you want to go on a walk? Do you, and I go, I'm okay. And I think in some ways, actually planning it and expecting that I was going to feel really crummy actually helped me not. But I also gave myself the space that if it catches up with me, it's okay. Like I'm allowed to go crawl under the covers and go to sleep and randomly cry. But for this day, this year, I think expecting it actually made it better in some ways.
2: Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I did jot down my points. And one of the things that I jotted down is one of the coping mechanisms that helped me at the time of my father's death and years after is actually being able to talk about it and express it and be able to live that grief without facing the judgment of others. In judgment towards the way I was experiencing it. So for you, Haley, if you needed to go crawl in bed, that's your way of experiencing it, going through it, and have your puddle day. And those around you, not really judging you for it, kind of letting you have the space, I think that's super important in coming to terms with whatever it is you're going through.
1: Yeah, it's like that pain needs to be acknowledged. And once you acknowledge it, it's maybe not as intrusive. It's almost like it's like this living creature. It's like it rears its head and it's like, you must acknowledge me. Although it is interesting because it's not every time, right? Like where I don't know when she was exactly diagnosed. So it's like certain things. I really do think it's when they're close or on other things that are very ritualistic where you're like, oh, we have the birthday cake. They're surrounding like Valentine's Day, whatever, holidays, birthdays that like those are harder to ignore. But then there are some that we are just able to let go of. Over time, I don't know. It's fascinating.
2: It's also important to know. And you may not necessarily have an example, but one thing that I hear in this medical community since I became a part of it is that hearing other parents who are ahead in our journey, their journey may look a little bit dissimilar in terms of details, but they're way ahead in terms of number of years they've been in this community. I think, Listening to them kind of gives me the perspective that there may be light at the end of the tunnel. And having experienced that with my dad's death, and having gotten over this idea of experiencing trauma bursaries and being a person who doesn't experience that anymore in the same way, I think even when the dates hold that power over you, if you develop healthy coping mechanisms and healthy ways to get through those difficult days, it is possible to go on the other side. And with any new trauma that may come your way, you may not experience, even if it is unexpected, you may not experience traumiversaries anymore. There may be other triggers. So like, for example, with my dad's step, I'm a huge fan of music. So I like to say that I experience things in a musical way. So if some song was playing when something happened, I'll associate those two things together. So I'll remember whenever the song plays, I'll be reminded of the thing that happened. So with respect to my dad's death, there is a particular song that I haven't been able to listen to without crying since. And it's been years and years and years, but I still have the same reaction. My body still has the same reaction whenever that song plays. So there may be other triggers like that that will stay with you through the years, but the trauma anniversary itself, because I think it has almost like a larger power over you because it comes every year, but it's still possible to kind of go over to the other side and with any new trauma to kind of not associate it with dates and deal with it in a different fashion, I guess, is possible.
0: Yeah. I wrote down two things, but the first with the music. So there is like a children's folk music group that I would always listen to with my kids. And when my daughter was inpatient for the week leading up to her brain surgery during her first birthday, I was alone because of COVID policies. I was alone with her in a hospital room for a week. And I play that music and I listened to it in like a very hopeful way. And after her surgery didn't work, I couldn't listen to that group anymore because it brought me right back to that moment in the hospital, having so much hope and all the trauma that went with it. And then actually this year in January, I was like, you know what, we're going to change the narrative of that. And I started playing the music again. And of course I broke down in tears every once in a while because it, takes me back to that moment. But I was in a place emotionally this year where I felt like I could start peeling some of those Band-Aids off. And I don't wanna say embrace the trauma because that's not accurate. I wouldn't say I embrace it, but going, I'm not gonna let it control me again. Or Madura, you've said like, give it the power anymore. Now, I will say that I feel like for me, triggers and trauma ebb and flow. And so even though this year, I felt much more, I mean, I struggled in January, but emotionally, I was in a much better place than I was a year ago. A year from now, or two years from now, or five years from now, I think the challenge with traumaversaries and trauma in general is it can sneak up on you. Uh, why am I struggling right now when last year I was dancing around and singing and celebrating and having no problem? And I think I've gotten to a point where I've recognized I don't try to understand it anymore, that sometimes I'm going to be able to handle it, and sometimes I'm not going to be able to handle it, and both are okay, and they can coexist, and on those years or those moments when I can't, it doesn't mean that I'm regressing in my journey, it doesn't mean that I'm not coping, it just means that things ebb and flow sometimes, and... I think that's been really important for me to understand like this year, why did I handle it so much better than I did last year? Time could be the case. Time has definitely helped, but next year it might be difficult. And I think the other thing I was going to mention when you said, looking at other families who are further down, I remember early on, one of the medical moms that I'm very close to had said, and she's like five years down the road from me, had said, I promise you will find joy again and the grief and the trauma doesn't disappear, it's more always there, but the joy finds the other spaces to fill in. And I think that that gave me hope to go, I'm not going to forget this. Like it always exists. My daughter, is having seizures every day. It's not like something that I look back on of an event that happened a year or two or three years ago. We didn't overcome anything. Like we're still here medical wise in the exact same place we were. So then me going, well, how am I ever gonna be happy again? When, as you mentioned Madura, death is kind of final and this is not final right now. And I think allowing space to feel joy. And initially it would be these moments if I'd find myself happy and then immediately start crying again. Cause I'm going, why am I feeling happy right now? My reality is awful. But slowly it got to a point where I allowed that joy to fill in. And my husband and I talk about now, we feel sadness way deeper than we used to. Like really dark, sad moments more than we did prior to everything with our daughter. But we also have joyful moments that are way more joyful than I think what we experienced prior to her. And so that spectrum has been really helpful for me of believing like you will find joy again. It's just going to look and feel different.
1: Yeah, I think that's so profound and so important to remember.
2: You're right. Like you will find joy again. I always like to describe it like there is an undercurrent There's always this undercurrent of trauma, anxiety, grief, and some days the undercurrent is going to be stronger. Some days it's going to kind of give way to other kind of activity in the water, but it's always there. And while it's there and it's deep inside me, that's how I think of it now. And I don't really regret it because like you said, Haley, when I experience joy or happiness or whether it's even on the day of the trauma that happened, I feel it back much more strongly than before.
1: Yeah. Have you guys seen the movie Inside Out? The kids movie? Okay. So like that movie always gets me now that I've had Kimball, especially like, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, it just nails it so well. But like the part at the end where they show like the memories that are a mix of joy and sadness and that moment where like Riley's being held by her parents and she's crying, but then she feels like you can see that small smile of like joy while she's feeling sad. And I feel like there are going to be, like I mentioned, like there are going to be some traumaversaries or traumatic events that are just, there's going to be little joy there. But I do think that there still are very tender moments that happen, even in the darkest things that are happening. Even so, you know, you guys both mentioned songs. Maybe everyone has a song too. That's definitely something I relate with. We're like, there's this album of kids music that we listened to in the car on our like CD all the time. And then I found out Kimball had birth defects and I was still pregnant with him and stuff. And we thought he might die. And there's this song that says like, little boat, little boat, stay with me. But I thought it said little boy. That's how I, I still sing it that way. And it's this really sad song. But it's also like, as I've listened to it, sometimes I just do it just to like go back there and like not just to make myself miserable but like i think there is some like wow look how far we've come from that moment i'm still here i didn't think i'd make it through all that he made it through all that like i think there is a lot of like tender maybe even joy i don't know even within like things that are like how could you ever find anything positive about that but like i do think that it's very complex like it's a very complicated thing and maybe it starts out really straightforward of like that's just the suckiest thing i've ever been through and i hate it and i'm mad about it and i'm like so triggered every time I think about it. But I do think that time gives us perspective and maybe helps us remember the tender moments too that weren't all horrible and can make it kind of more of that memory, like an inside out where it's the mixed memory with both joy and sadness. And it means that much more.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I also think though that humans are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. So with time, we gain perspective, but we're also reminded of our resilience which kind of helps us go through these tough moments. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I always talk about the power of and. So I teach communication. We have a whole chapter about emotions. And one thing I teach college students is you can feel multiple conflicting emotions at the same time. And it's really important to identify that because a lot of times when we're feeling anger, there's actually another emotion that's driving it like sadness or grief, and it just comes out in a certain way. And I think especially in a medical parent community, we feel such love for our child, like not that other people don't love their children, but just this like immense love and amazement of our child. Like I look at my daughter and I just go, you are the most amazing creature that ever existed on this planet. And I feel deep grief about things. And I think sometimes I've noticed that medical parents sometimes feel like they need to have that forced gratitude. Or if they ever talk about feeling sad that their child's disabled or struggling or nonverbal or something, it can come across as, so you don't love your child the way they are. And I don't believe in that. I think things can coexist. And for me, that's what's been really helpful to get through these experiences is allowing myself to feel really sad if I need to on those days, but also just live in amazement of my daughter. And I think that's what helped me this year of I was really sad about what happened to us. I was really sad about what she had been through. But I am not sad to have this beautiful creature of a child, right? I think she's phenomenal and amazing and resilient and hilarious and all of these other things. And it helped direct my energy, I think, this year in focusing on her and who she is because these other things are my problems and important problems, but they're my things I need to deal with. And I don't ever want that to detract from my love or celebration of my daughter on her birthday and allowing myself to have those feelings coexist. I think was really important and not fight them, not force myself to feel joy when I don't want to feel joy and being okay. That one moment I'm going to be laughing and thinking
1: she's great. and the next moment I might be in tears and that's okay. When I think the reason that these things are for the most part, the reason these things are so traumatic and horrible and we don't want to remember them is because we love our kids so much. And maybe that's even like kind of going back to that like idea of like the memory and and inside out where it's positive and it's really sad all the same time. Like there's that joy and the sadness, like, and it's probably because like when we feel really sad about things that our kids are going through, or we feel afraid that they're going to pass away or like just these different, like really negative, hard things, it's all laced with this like immense love we have for them. Like that's, that's the reason it sucks is because we love them so much. So I think maybe that's what time and space gives us is kind of like we are able to feel of like wow I feel so protective of my child I just love him so much that was so hard to see him suffer like that so it's kind of like this like coexistence of like these really really powerful negative and positive emotions just make us kind of an emotional mess sometimes but like it's all there
2: yeah because it happens so often because medical trauma is not final you're gonna experience something different as your child grows up, and you're gonna see them suffer again and again and again. And I think to the point that Haley said, to be able to focus on them requires that we able to read ourselves like a book. And I think practice makes perfect. So as we go through this, at least in my case, I found myself recognizing what's happening with my own emotions much quicker than I did a year ago or two years ago. That means I have more mental space and energy to give to my daughter when she's feeling down. I may be able to engage my rational side at will. And sometimes I can recognize my emotions, set them aside. And like, okay, I'm gonna have a breakdown on my own time. But right now I'm gonna be able to give my focus and my full attention to her because she needs those snuggles or whatever.
1: Yeah. I think if I would have heard that in like the first few months or like the first year after having my son, I would have felt so much hope because I know that this is not the case for every parent. Like as I'm talking to more, I'm like, OK, well, that's OK. But like I was a wreck. I was an emotional wreck that first year. And so I think like I agree with that. I think that, you know, you have more experience. You're more used to trauma, like more things happen and you learn how to cope with it and how to deal with it. You learn about yourself. You hopefully go to a therapy My therapist helped me so much work through these and take away that power. And so I think like that is so hopeful for people who are listening right now who just fall apart at every event or every reminder just to be like, you will gain strength. You will also figure this out and it won't have as much power over you. We can't guarantee it won't keep happening, but like that you can like kind of learn those skills and build up to that and read yourself like a book, like you said.
0: Yeah, I think Madeline, (laughs) I'll echo the first year I was a disaster. And rightfully so. I mean, our first year was when we were being the most aggressive with treatment, when I think I felt like it was my responsibility to cure my daughter. And so I drove myself mad trying to find treatment options and reaching out to different groups and hospitals and doctors and all of these things, which was important. I'm glad that I did that. But I also didn't take time to kind of process what I was going through. And it was like difficult moment after difficult moment. And yeah, I was a disaster that first year. And I think for me, one thing that has helped has been kind of acceptance and slowing down. I mean, I kind of hate that that's what's helped because if I had my way, I would have cured my daughter and we wouldn't still be here. But I think to your point about therapy, that was one thing I really wanted to mention is I had frequented therapy throughout my adolescent and adult life. So it wasn't a difficult thing for me to do. Like it was, of course, I need to go to therapy. My daughter is going through this really difficult thing, as well as like getting on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. Like that wasn't difficult for me to do because I've always been very pro like mental health. But where I struggled is because I'm a pretty reflective person, traditional talk therapy wasn't helping me. It has helped me. I had gone through a divorce before, which was really traumatic, and that had been really helpful. But in this moment, when it's this chronic trauma, this chronic, it's not post-traumatic, though there are those moments, it's chronic. My daughter has seizures every day, so I'm experiencing trauma every day and i had this really kind of dark moment where my husband you know we don't talk about it that much but my husband sat down and he said you are in a really bad place right now and it is scaring me and if you don't do something about it i am taking you to a hospital because i'm scared and that was a really eye-opening moment for me and i started researching like trauma-based therapy emdr And it was very different for me. It was a very different approach. But for me personally, that was a tool that was a game changer because it helped me reframe how I approach trauma. And it gave me tools to cope with it better. And so I always tell other medical parents, because they're like, how have you gotten to this point? I'm like, trauma therapy has been really helpful. I'm a big proponent (laughs) for it because it doesn't disappear. You're not looking at something in the past. I mean, yes, there are those events like the traumaversaries, but we continue as medical parents to experience trauma every day. And so you have to develop a set of tools to get through, you know, last week, my daughter had a horrible seizure and a year and a half ago that would have knocked me on the ground for a week or two. And it's not that it wasn't difficult, but I, took some time and then the next day rallied and we kept going and i credit that of getting the tools from trauma-focused therapy to be able to get through those daily Mm. challenges
1: yeah and i think that that exactly like the chronic nature of it those are the hardest things because you're like shoot i'm dealing with something that in and of itself is incredibly hard right my daughter having this huge seizure like that is hard and not only that but i'm reliving all the other ones too and this is triggering me back. To, and so it's like, I'm dealing with all of them, all at the same time. Who can handle that? And so I, I echo back again, like, yes. And like, specifically EMDR, I have a whole episode about that because it changed my life. Like, I was able to process that trauma. So it still has power, but not nearly as much. And so, yeah, that, that resonates so much with me.
2: My experience is a little different because I haven't gone to therapy ever. I still don't. But I think having lived through that trauma so early on in my life and have had so many years, like I said, back in India, there wasn't a lot of awareness about mental health when you know I was little. So not knowing that, not knowing that therapy might be an option and not knowing ways to develop healthy coping mechanisms, I kind of muddled my own way through finding what works for me. And over time, I think, Even as like, so every seizure, if you consider that a trauma, when my daughter is having the seizure, I now have learned ways to kind of calm myself down, even in that moment. So once the seizure is done and over with, she's settled and safe and sound, I still don't have a breakdown, whereas I would before. And I can recognize on the go what's happening in my body. And I think one of the things that has helped me most, and I'm going to sound like a broken record because it's been said so many times, is paying attention to my own breathing. And I think yoga took me there where I can pay attention to my own breathing in ways that I couldn't before. And I'm going to make a segue into something slightly different that's not related to this, but I took a course on yoga for special kids. So it's all credit to my daughter <laughs> that I started this because of her neuromuscular issues We're like, I need something to help her. PT is not doing it. So I'm, like, I'm going to find something. And I found this book and I'm like, okay, they have a course. So I'm going to take the workshop. And it's a pretty intensive workshop. I only did part of it. So it's 45 hour thing. And they have, I think, 50 more hours. It's a 95 hour course. So I only did the part that related to little kids and that helped me understand her breathing my breathing patterns and because this trauma happens unfortunately so often like daily i got a lot of practice <laughs> i was able to relentlessly pay attention to while she's having a seizure her breathing and my breathing and kind of at least calm myself down so i could be better for her and i think that ties back into how I grew up having experienced the trauma and and being able to self-analyze almost like being able to explain my emotions and how I'm feeling and kind of being in tune with that
1: yeah and like getting curious that's one thing I learned a lot in mindfulness is like get curious about your emotions get curious like okay so why do I feel that right now and I think that is very powerful Like you say, you get to know yourself and become really self-aware and like what helps you get through those moments so you can be there for your child, too, because that feels Mm -hmm. really scary when you feel yourself spiraling out and you're like, well, shoot, I'm useless right now as a parent. Mm -hmm. I'm a mess. And so and that can feel really scary. Well, I would love to just wrap up with each of you. I would love you to speak to specifically parents who are listening right now who are earlier on and are feeling like there is no light at the end of the tunnel and like I'm either going through trauma or I'm being triggered by old trauma, what would you like to leave with them as your parting thoughts?
0: I think for me, in the scheme of things, I'm still relatively early on. So my daughter just turned three. She was diagnosed at six months. So this has been going on for two and a half years. And when you think about that, this is forever. (laughs) It's a relatively short amount of time. However, it always amazes me the amount of growth that can occur. And early on, I remember getting a lot of kind of false platitudes or, you know, the hang in there that it will get better. I remember at one point someone said, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I said, marathons end. This doesn't end. This is forever. And so the foreverness of this is what would really send me spiraling when I think about this isn't just getting up to the top of the mountain. This isn't finishing the race. This is every single day for the rest of my daughter's life. And I think what brought me comfort or what I would say to newly diagnosed families is just really keeping the faith that you will find room for joy again, but you have to give yourself grace that if you have those days where you break down, where you want to run and hide, where you curse what has happened, that's okay. And those days will start spacing further out that you'll go start small, like one day without feeling triggered or upset, then one week, then one month, And it will get better, but you do need to prioritize yourself. You do need to recognize and be very in tune to your body, get yourself help if you need it, and give yourself room to be able to break down. I love that so much.
2: I will say three things, really. One, as medical parents, we are always so focused on what our child is going through, their growth, their ability to cope, their health, their, their needs, we put first. And while we're focused on their growth and their development, we have to allow ourselves to think that we're also capable of the same, so we can develop through these experiences. It's not something that only our child is going through. It's also us as a parent, we're having a different vantage point of the situation and we have to allow ourselves to kind of grow with it. And for that, I would say, like Haley said, prioritize yourself. I know it's difficult for many parents and not just because they're hung up in their own emotions, but also because of circumstances that may not allow for the time or mental energy to prioritize themselves, but it's necessary. And once you do that, you'll learn to develop coping mechanisms that will kind of help you along And then the third thing I would just say is just our health. So do anything you can to help your own health. Because when you're feeling healthier, you're that much more able to function better, recognize the stressors and triggers better, and be able to help your child. Because I think for most... For all of us medical parents that's what it's all about you want to be able to help your child as best as you can
1: yeah so true
0: i think one more thing i'll mention about traumaversaries specifically is i give myself space on those days because i know that's what you know we've been talking about is these specific days i give myself space to do things that make me feel good too Within reason, right? Safely. But if that means I need to, and if I have the ability, like what Maduro said, part of it is like resources, including time. When people talk about you need to prioritize self-care, I'm like, great. When am I going to do this? Right? It's not just I need to focus on me. It's We are often, I mean, my husband and I both work full time. We're also caregivers. We're also, so I I recognize that this is not always possible to do, but if I can, you know, take a nap for 45 minutes that day, if I want to say, I'm going to eat chocolate and go get myself a slice of cake on that day, it doesn't wipe away the trauma, but I think I focus on those challenging moments where I know things are going to be challenging of, trying to take care of myself like I would a friend. I think a lot of times we are much more forgiving and much kinder to other people than we are ourselves. And when I look at what I've said to myself, what I've done to myself, what I felt, I am so much crueler on myself than I am to a friend. And so I try to treat myself on those days that I know are gonna be challenging like my own best friend. And what would that mean? What would that be helpful for me to do? and let myself spoil myself on those days. And it's little, but it does help me of going, I'm going to get through the day and then I'm going to go have a gigantic slice of cake or I'm going to get through the day and then I'm going to go on a walk alone without children. It's like my reward for, you did it, like you got through. And I think, yeah, day to day is what, if I thought too far in advance, too far down the line, that was especially overwhelming to me in the early days and still even overwhelming to me now. If I think, what is life going to be like in 10 years? Like, I can't go there.
1: Yeah, and I guess I'll throw one more thing in there too, like to your point of like having like these – Even if they're not, like, I don't even know. Like, is that even self-care? I don't know. But, like, of saying, like, I'm going to eat chocolate ice cream after this. Like, I remember distinctly this one time being like, we have this appointment with this specific specialist, which is triggering, right? There's so many things that can trigger. But, like, this specialist is triggering because we had horrible news from this person before. And I'm expecting it at this appointment, too, just because my brain is there. But I was like, well, I'm at the grocery store today. I'm buying chocolate ice cream. I'm putting it in the freezer. And after my appointment tomorrow, I'm eating that chocolate ice cream. And I think... It wasn't the chocolate ice cream, but it was like the acknowledgement of my own pain and like, yes, Maddie, like you're hurting right now, and here's something just to cheer you up a little bit. Like I think it was like that action of kindness to myself that really as my own friend, and I it was so much easier, you know, than it might have been otherwise. And so I do think that like things like that, like little whatever you can make happen, like for yourself, I think it goes a long way in mental health, just because you feel supported by yourself like you you are supporting yourself in that and that's actually a really awesome thing to be able to do I feel like we could talk about this for so long you guys but I, I probably should wrap up but I am so grateful for both of you and you know offering your individual insights on this topic and I am so confident that it, it's just such a relatable thing and I really hope that everyone listening has felt buoyed up by this and, and just really seen that you know you're not the only one going through these different things so thank you so much yeah absolutely thank, thank, thank you, you. To see adorable photos of our guests and their families, head to therarelifepodcast.com. You can also connect with all three of us on social media. There are links in the show notes to do that. There is also a link to the episode I did a while back all about EMDR trauma therapy. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, go check out that episode. There's also a link to a company called BetterHelp and they offer licensed therapy remotely. So if you are feeling ready to go to therapy, but you can't necessarily leave your house for traditional appointments, or you're trying to reduce in-person contact with people to reduce germs, I encourage you to check out that link. It is also an affiliate link. So we get a little kickback every time you use that link, which helps support the podcast. So check that out if you want to. And I also have in the show notes a link to Amanda Griffith Atkins' website. She's a licensed therapist that I've had on here several times. She has a small directory of therapists that have experience working with parents who have disabled children or they themselves are parents of disabled children. So if you would prefer that in a therapist, then go check that out. And then we also have links in the show notes to our awesome sponsor Moog Medical and their helpline contact information if you want to go check that out as well and I just want to encourage you that if while listening you were thinking man this is so helpful I love this episode and this topic to share it I just think this is something that pretty much all of us experience as parents of medically complex children you know at one point or another we have intense trauma and then triggers to that trauma and so if there's someone that you can think of that might be able to use this episode I encourage you to share that or if you just want to put it out there, maybe on your social media, I encourage you to do that as well. We just would love for this to get to as many people as possible. And we are always so grateful for any and all sharing because that's really a huge way that we get the podcast out to those who need it. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who has shared and who will share. Okay. Join us next week for an episode full of organization hacks for all the medical supplies and medical information and appointments, and just all the things that come along with caring for our medically complex children. Don't miss it. See you then.